Chapter Twenty Two of the Silent House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. The Silent House by Fergus Hume. Chapter Twenty Two, at Berwin Manor. The heritage of Diana lay some miles from Bath in a pleasant wooded valley, through which meandered a placid and slow-flowing stream. On either side of this water stretched broad meadow-lands, flat and fertile, as well they might be, seeing they were of rich black loam, and well-drained withal. To the right these meadows were bounded by forest-lands, the trees of which grew thickly up and over the ridge, and on the space where wood met fields was placed the manor a quaint square building of georgian architecture and some two centuries old against the green of the trees its warm walls of red brick and sloping roof of bluish slate made a pleasant spot of colour there stretched a terrace before it beneath the terrace a flower garden and orchard and below these the meadowlands white with snow in winter black in spring with ridgy furrows and golden with grain in the hot days of summer. Altogether a lovely and peaceful spot, where a man could pass pleasant days in rural quiet, a hermitage of rest for the life-worn and heart-weary. Here, towards the end of summer, came Lucian, to rest his brain after the turmoil of London, and to court his mistress under the most favourable circumstances. Diana had established herself in her ancestral home, with a superannuated governess as a chaperone, for without such a guardianship she could hardly have invited the barrister to visit her. Miss Priscilla Barber was a placid, silver-haired old dame, who, having taught Diana for many years, had returned, now that the American Mrs. Vrain had departed, to spend the rest of her days under the roof of her dear pupil. She took a great fancy to Lucian, which was just as well, seeing what was the object of his visit, and complacently watched the growing attachment between the handsome young couple, who seemed so suited to one another. But her duties as chaperone were nominal, for when not pottering about the garden she was knitting in a snug corner, and when knitting failed to interest her she slumbered quietly, in defiance of the etiquette which should have compelled her to make a third in the conversation of her young friends. As for Lucian and his charming hostess, they found that they had so many tastes in common, and enjoyed each other's society so much, that they were hardly ever apart. Diana saw with the keen eyes of a woman that Lucian was in love with her, and let it be seen in a marvellously short space of time, and, without much difficulty, that she was in love with him. But even after Lucian had been at the manor a fortnight, and daily in the society of Diana, he spoke no word of love. Seeing how beautiful she was, and how dowered with lands and rents and horses, he began to ask himself whether it was not rather a presumption on his part to ask her to share his life. He had only three hundred a year, six pounds a week, and a profession in which, as yet, he had not succeeded. So he could offer her very little in exchange for her beauty, wealth and position. The poor lover became quite pale with fruitless longing, and his spirits fell so low 
that good Miss Priscilla one day drew him aside to ask about his health. For, said she, if you are ill in body, Mr. Denzil, I know of some remedies, old woman's medicines you will call them, no doubt, which, with the blessing of God, may do you good. Thank you, Miss Barber, but I am not ill in body, worse luck, and Lucian sighed. Why, worse luck, Mr. Denzil, said the old lady severely. That is an ungrateful speech to Providence. I would rather be ill in body than ill in mind, explained Denzil, blushing, for in some ways he was younger than his years. And are you ill in mind? asked Miss Priscilla, with a twinkle in her eyes. Alas, yes. Can you cure me? No, for that cure... I shall hand you over to Diana. Miss Priscilla! And Lucian colored again, this time with vexation. Oh, Mr. Denzil, laughed the governess, because I am old, you must not imagine that I am blind. I see that you love Diana. Better than my life, cried the devoted lover with much fervor. Of course, that is the usual romantic answer to make. Well, why do you not tell Diana so, with any pretty additions your fancy suggests? She might not listen to me, said this doubting lover dolefully. Very true, replied his consoler. On the other hand, she might. Besides, Mr. Denzil, however much the world may have altered since my youth, I have yet to learn that it is the lady's part to propose to the gentleman. "'But, Miss Barber, I am poor.' "'What of that? Diana is rich.' "'Don't I know it. For that very reason I hesitate to ask her.' "'Because you are afraid of being called a fortune-hunter, I suppose,' said the old lady dryly. "'That shows a lack of moral courage which is not worthy of you, Mr. Denzil. "'Take an old woman's advice, young man, and put your fortunes to the test.' "'Remember Montrose's advice in the song.' "'You approve of my marrying, Diana? I mean, Miss Vrain?' "'From what I have seen of you, and from what Diana has told me about you, I could wish her no better husband. Poor girl! After the tragical death of her father, and her wretched life with that American woman, she deserves a happy future. "'And do you think—do you really think that—' "'That she would be happy with—with with me?' stammered Lucian, hardly daring to believe Miss Priscilla, whose acquaintance with him seemed too recent to warrant such trust. The wise old woman laughed and nodded. "'Ask her yourself, my dear,' she said, patting his hand. "'She will be able to answer that question better than I. Besides, girls like to say yea or nay themselves.' This seemed to be good advice and certainly none could have been more grateful to the timid lover. That very night he made up his mind to risk his fortunes by speaking to Diana. It was no easy matter for this young man to bring himself to do so, for cool, bold, and fluent as he was on ordinary occasions, the fever of love rendered him shy and nervous. The looks of Diana acted on his spirits, as the weather does on a barometer, a smile made him jocund and hilarious, a frown abashed him almost to gloom, and in the April weather of her presence he was as variable as a weathercock. 
It is, therefore, little to be wondered at that one ordinarily daring should tremble to ask a question which might be answered in the negative. True, Miss Barber's partisanship heartened him a trifle, but he still feared for the result. Cupid, as well as conscience, makes cowards of us all, and Lucian was a doubting lover. Towards the end of his stay, Miss Priscilla, as usual, fell asleep one evening after dinner, and Diana, feeling the house too warm, stepped out into the garden, followed by Lucian. The sun had just set behind the undulating hills, and the clear sky, to the zenith, was of a pale rose color, striped toward the western horizon with lines of golden cloud. In the east a cold blue prevailed, and here and there a star sparkled in the arch of the sky. The garden was filled with floating shadows, which seemed to glide into it from the dark recesses of the near woods, and in a copse some distance away a nightingale was singing to his mate, and filling the silence with melody. The notes fluted sweetly through the still air, mingling with the sigh of the rising wind and the musical splashing of the fountain. This shot up a pillar of silvery water to a great height, and in descending sprinkled the near flower-beds with its cold spray. All was inexpressibly beautiful to the eye and soothing to the ear, a scene and an hour for love. It might have been the garden of the Capulets, and those who moved in it, the immortal lovers, as yet uncursed by fate. "'Only three more days,' sighed Lucian, as he walked slowly down the path beside Diana. "'And then that noisy London again.' "'Perhaps it is as well.' said Diana, in her practical way. You would rust here. But is there any need for you to go back so soon? I must, for my own peace of mind. Diana started and blushed at the meaning of his tone and words. Then she recovered her serenity, and sat down on an old stone seat, near which stood a weather-beaten statue of Venus. Seeing that she kept silent in spite of his broad hint, Lucian, to bring matters to a crisis, resolved to approach the subject in a mythological way through the image of the goddess. "'I am sorry I am not a Greek, Miss Vrain,' he said abruptly. "'Why?' asked Diana, secretly astonished by the irrelevancy of the remark. Lucian plucked a red rose from the bush which grew near the statue and placed it on the pedestal. "'because I would lay my offering at the feet of the goddess "'and touch her knees to demand a boon.' "'What boon would you ask?' said Diana in a low voice. "'I would beseech that in return for my rose of flowers "'she would give me the rose of womanhood.' "'A modest request. "'Do you think it would be granted?' "'Do you?' asked Lucian, picking up the rose again. "'How can I reply to your parables, or read your dark sayings?' said Diana, half in earnest, half in mirth. "'I can speak plainer, if you permit it. "'If—if if you like.' The young man laid the rose on Diana's lap. "'Then in return for my rose, give me—yourself.' "'Mr. Denzil!' cried Diana, starting up, whereby the flower fell to the ground. "'You—' You surprise me. 
"'Indeed, I surprise myself,' said Lucian sadly. "'That I should dare to raise my eyes to you is no doubt surprising.' "'I don't see that at all,' exclaimed Diana coldly. "'I like to be wooed like a woman, not honoured like a goddess.' "'You are both woman and goddess. "'But you are not angry?' "'Why should I be angry?' "'Because I... I love you. I cannot be angry with, with, shall we say, a compliment. Oh, Diana! Wait, wait, cried Miss Vrain, waving back this too eager lover. You cannot love me. You have known me only a month or two. Love can be born in an hour, cried Lucian eagerly. I loved you on the first day I saw you. I love you now. I shall love you ever. "'Will you truly love me ever, Lucian?' "'Oh, my darling, can you doubt it? "'And you?' he looked at her hopefully. "'And I?' she repeated in a pretty mocking tone. "'And I?' "'With a laugh she bent and picked up the flower. "'I take the rose, and I give you—' "'Yourself?' cried the enraptured lover. "'and the next moment he was clasping her to his breast. "'Oh, Diana, dearest, will you really be my wife?' "'Yes,' she said softly, and kissed him. "'For a few moments the emotions of both overcame them too much "'to permit further speech. "'Then Diana sat down and made Lucian sit beside her. "'Lucian,' she said in a firm voice, "'I love you, and I shall be your wife.' "'when you find out who killed my poor father.' "'It is impossible!' he cried in dismay. "'No. We must prosecute the search. "'I have no right to be happy "'while the wretch who killed him is still at large. "'We have failed hitherto, but we may succeed yet, "'and when we succeed I shall marry you.' "'My darling!' cried Lucian in ecstasy. "'And then, in a more subdued tone, I'll do all I can to find out the truth. But, after all, from what point can I begin afresh? From the point of Mrs. Vrain, said Diana unexpectedly. Mrs. Vrain, cried the startled Lucian, do you still suspect her? Yes, I do. But she has cleared herself on the most undeniable evidence. Not in my eyes, said Diana obstinately. "'If Mrs. Vrain is innocent, how did she find out that the unknown man murdered in Geneva Square was my father?' "'By his assumption of the name of Berwin, which was mentioned in the advertisement. "'Also from the description of the body, and particularly by the mention of the cicatrice on the right cheek, "'and of the loss of the little finger on the left hand.' "'Diana started. "'I never heard that about the little finger,' she said hurriedly. "'Are you sure?' Yes, I saw myself, when I knew your father as Berwin, that he had lost that little finger. Then, Lucian, you did not see my father. What? cried Denzil, hardly able to credit her words. My father never lost a finger, cried Diana, starting to her feet. Ah, Lucian, I now begin to see light. That man who called himself Berwin, who was murdered, was not my father. No, 
I believe, on my soul, I believe that my father, Mark Vrain, is alive. End of chapter 22